If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. Um, I've enjoyed being able to go through this letter from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy with all of you, and I pray that it's been uh, encouraging for us to be able to work through this letter uh, together. And and my prayer is, is that we've seen week by week the relevance of this letter and why it is that the Holy Spirit has kept this letter uh, for us 2,000 plus years removed in a place uh, called Deer Park Fellowship. And, um, and so I, I hope that you see its applicability. Uh, but this morning we're going to continue working through chapter 4 and we're looking uh, at verses 11 to 16. And so I'm going to read that now and then I'm going to pray for the Lord to give us grace and strength and the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. And then we will jump right in. And so the Apostle Paul writing, again, this letter to Timothy, this letter to be read um, to the gathering of Ephesus, he wrote these things. He says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for, by, for so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word, we thank you that it's authoritative. We thank you that your spirit has kept it pure in all ages, God. We can have confidence that what we're reading, what we're looking at, what we can be changed by is your word. And, um, and so we ask for your help, God. Help us to see the things that we need to see this morning from it. We ask that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives. And ultimately, we pray that we would be able to walk away, God, seeing Christ more clearly. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, uh, the first thing that you can, you can kind of shorthand, if you will, uh, that we need to spend some time on, and uh, in particularly verse 11 and 12, um, is, is this very thing. Be thick-skinned in controversy. Be thick-skinned in controversy and warm-hearted toward the Lord and all people as Christ is proclaimed. Be thick-skinned in controversy and warm-hearted toward the Lord and toward all people as Christ is proclaimed. And in, in verse 11 here, we see the Apostle Paul instruct Timothy. He says, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. And these things, if you've been journeying with us, really connects Paul's instructions here um, Uh, It connects what Paul's saying here to to the rest of the instructions that Paul has been giving Timothy as it relates to promoting the lordship of Jesus Christ, both uh, in the context of his his local church, uh, where there would have been uh, wolves, false teachers, false teachings that are uh, just ravaging the sheep of the church, and also it would have implications for uh, that, that kind of ministry, that ministry that Timothy had. Uh, would seep out into the culture uh, as well. But these elders that the Apostle Paul is writing to, particularly Timothy, right, they're to have, and what we should see by now is that they're to have different voices, 
right? Paul's telling, them, telling Timothy, command and teach. And, and certainly in this letter, we see different voices that Paul is commending to Timothy. One of the reformers said this about the different voices of a shepherd. He said this, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The scriptures supply him with the means of doing both, for he who is deeply skilled in it will be able to govern those who are teachable and to refute the enemies of the truth. And and we see, or we have seen, this commendation, if you will, of both protecting and comforting uh, the sheep of God. And as it relates to uh, protecting them from false teachers, we've seen that clearly in this letter that Paul's written to Timothy here. But we see these words command and teach in verse 11. And, and, And command is to give orders on what to do or what to not do, right? Command is to give orders on what to do or not to do. And that word teach is to instruct or train in or develop. Now, Paul's charge for Timothy to command and teach, I would say, is is a, a charge for Timothy's ministry to be characterized by thus saith the Lord. Right? Timothy's ministry was to be characterized uh, by thus saith the Lord in a culture that did not care much about what God had to say. Right? And, 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 and that would stand in stark contrast, just his commitment, this charge uh, that Paul's given him. Timothy's commitment would stand in stark contrast to a church and to a culture that would otherwise disregard the word. But this is also a reminder for Timothy. Timothy, and we saw, we've seen a little bit of this as we've journeyed through this letter together. Timothy isn't to make disciples of himself. Right? He, he's, he, he was to have taken what he was trained in from a very young age, what had been delivered by the Holy Spirit of God through the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Christ. He was to take that and put that forward faithfully to the church of Ephesus. Right? The command element would be right, repent of your sins, repent of your particular sins in trust in your sufficient Savior, your exclusive Savior, the only way to be right with God, Jesus Christ. Right? In that would be the command, repent of your particular sins, which is what we should be making a habit out of doing, right? That's one of the reasons why we have our confession of sin and assurance of pardon, is we want to be quick to confess so we can be quick to repent of our sin, and we want to day by day rest and trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's a command element from the Scripture that Timothy was called to herald that we should all, again, 2,000 plus years removed from, be committed to, submit our lives to. Right? The teaching component could be a bit of showing the work, if you will. Right? It'd be Timothy instructing the church that it's clear that Christ really is the Messiah that came to make things right between us and God. He can show the connection between all those Old Testament prophecies and, and the writings and the testimony of the apostles in the, um, in the first century here. He could show his work and say, listen, repent and trust in Jesus because Jesus is that Messiah that had been long awaited for. Jesus, truly man, truly God, is worthy of your worship and he's worthy 
of your trust. And I'll get into this more in a moment, but what we have here from Paul to Timothy is a charge to preach. It's a charge to preach, right? Commanding without teaching is not preaching. If anything, it could lead to some sort of legalistic cult, if you will, some legalistic religious group. What Paul was charging Timothy to do would be so counter to what the false teachers were doing that were wreaking havoc on the church of Ephesus. These false teachers were commanding things. They were saying they had some sort of special knowledge and and some special word from God that no one else was privy to and that they really knew the right way Um, or the way to be made right with God, therefore do what they say, don't question it, right? That's characteristic of a cult, right? The Apostle Paul, the ministry that he's commending to Timothy, is counter to what would be going on in the church of Ephesus there, right? I would even say that that what the the false teachers were, were teaching in that church what they were commanding, I guess, is a better way to put it in that church. It couldn't hold up in the biblical sense of the word. Right? Because it wouldn't hold up. False teaching doesn't hold up when it's brought against the entirety of God's revelation. All right, we're, we're called even by uh, John in 1 John to test the spirits. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. We're a call not to be not to be gullible, not to be blown by every wind of doctrine. Right? Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And how do we test? Right? As Christians, we test against God's revealed will. Right? We test teaching against God's revealed will. What's God's revealed will? It's the Scripture. It's the Scripture, right? We test every command through God's Scripture. And this teaching component Paul's charging Timothy with helps the church of Ephesus. It would have helped the church of Ephesus see clearly the necessity of the commands, commands like repent and believe, right? It helps them to see various commands in light of the finished work of Jesus, which is how we should see any command in Scripture, What Timothy is called to do is to teach those things that are thus saith the Lord. And when we begin to drift in areas of, say, say, liberty or matters of conscience, we have to be careful not to itemize them under the banner of thus saith the Lord. Right From the preaching in the pulpit down to the pew, we need to have clear categories on what is thus saith the Lord and what is an opinion or where God has given us liberty of conscience. Liberty to have a difference in opinion, if you will. And as Paul charges Timothy to command and to teach the word, in a word, to to preach the word, which we see elsewhere, he's charged him, and if you're familiar with the the follow-up letter, 2 Timothy, this charge that he's given to Timothy to be a man committed to thus saith the Lord is to be done in favorable times, and it's to be done in unfavorable times, right? We may be familiar with that by... Uh, we sh- the, the word should be preached in season and out of season, right? What, what is meant there is when it's favorable, when it's not favorable, right? 2 Timothy 4.2. And, and in those unfavorable times, which is what we can see in our text here, Paul says that there will be attempts to discredit 
there will be attempts to discredit. There were attempts to discredit the ministry of Timothy here in our text, right? In, in modern day language, the attempt to discredit, we call it cancel culture, don't we? Right? So this is like cancel culture Ephesus edition, right? Look at verse 12. Let no one despise, right? Despise meaning look down on or scorn through insult is what that means. Let no one despise you for your youth, but, and here's how Timothy's to meet it, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, right? We know that the Apostle Paul has instructed Timothy to, to live above reproach. We looked at that earlier, uh, several months ago, we looked at that, but that extends even toward those who are seeking to discredit him or ignore the message that he's been called to herald, right? Paul knows that folks are going to attempt to discredit Timothy the way that they sought to discredit him, but he instructs Timothy to greet that, uh, to, 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 to look at that by setting an example. He, he doesn't want Timothy to get distracted from the mission of exalting Christ, right? And we shouldn't get distracted from the mission of exalting Christ. We see Paul give similar instructions to Titus, right? If you're familiar with, with Titus, in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul tells this to, to Titus, declare these things, declare the things that the Apostle Paul's charged him with, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then he says, let no one disregard you. Right? Titus is to declare God's word. And we see, again, the, these two vo- uh, voices here, exhortation to build up right, and rebuke with all authority. Right? Whose authority? The authority, as we know, of Christ Jesus. Right? In doing so, Titus doing that, or the, Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, doing that, they're, they're not to allow anyone to disregard them. And, and not disregard in the sense that Timothy or Titus are to go around spending their time convincing people to listen to them. Right? That's, what, that's not what's going on here. Right? Not, not grasping for influence or... or, or um, or trying to gain some sort of following for themselves, right? That's, that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. What he's talking about is, is, again, not getting distracted from the mission. Don't let uh, people who seek to discredit the message you're heralding um, by discrediting you unlawfully, uh, don't, don't let that distract you. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that paralyze you. Don't let that stop you from expanding God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So for Timothy, right, he, he seems to be a young pastor, or perhaps he's young comparatively to the false teachers that are um, propagating this, this false teaching about the insufficiency of Jesus. And maybe they're trying to use his age as a disqualifier. Right, Paul is speaking here about malicious attempts at side-railing the message and ministry of faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Right? There are, there have been people that have been disqualified from ministry because of their character, but Paul's not speaking about credible evidence here as it relates to a teaching elder being disqualified from ministry. Right? This is about people who despise the message of the gospel and they're seeking to dismount or dismantle the faith that was once and for all delivered 
by the saints, Jude 3. And we need to take note here. Right? Men like Timothy, men like Titus, right? pastors and elders of today, Christians really universally would do a much better job at promoting the gospel if we were more thick-skinned. Right? It, it seems that as Christians, we, we can all tend to worry a lot about our reputation. Right? As Christians, we can all tend to worry a whole lot about our influence, and we do so, we worry about that oftentimes at the expense of promoting Christ Jesus. Right? We get distracted. Right? Timothy and Titus, according to God's standards, they were faithful servants of Jesus. Right? But, but both the wolves inside the church and outside the church, they spent a lot of time slandering their credentials. Again, something that the Apostle Paul wouldn't be unfamiliar with. These men couldn't have been the ambassadors for Christ that they needed to be if they uh, would have held their reputations close-fisted. The same Christ they were to glorify and exalt couldn't be exalted if they were busy trying to validate and exalt themselves. The Apostle John says in John chapter 3, verse 30, I must decrease, right, and he must what? He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. And we as Christians, we can lean into an example like this, right? The exaltation of Christ, genuinely, right? the exaltation of Christ should be our singular aim. That should be our singular aim. No matter what our vocation is, that should be our singular aim, our reputation. And in doing that, that being our our focus, the exaltation of Christ being our focus, it frees us up to see what's already true, whether you have anxiety about it or not, which is, is that our reputation and our influence is in the hands of our sovereign King Jesus. Our financial situation is in the hands of our sovereign King Jesus. Our very next breath, whether we live or whether we die, is in the sovereign hands of King Jesus, who's Lord over all things. Right? That's unchangeably true. So stop fretting about it. Stop worrying about it. Stop con- trying to control it, right? And be about exalting Christ, right? We know this intellectually. We confess this with our lips. We need to day by day cultivate it. We need to practice it because if we practice it, we can rest, right? If we practice it, we become productive ambassadors for Christ. So, Christian, rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus for all things, right? And that's what we see Paul commend in so many words. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And again, comparing this to the ministry of Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verse six, uh, verses 6 to 8, we see the Apostle Paul say, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Right? This is him to Titus here. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that can't be condemned. Right? That, which is a, that would be a legitimate discrediting. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Right? For Timothy, for Titus, for the Apostle Paul for any elder, for any deacon, for any Christian, right? We should be examples in speech, examples in conduct, examples in good works, examples in love and in faith and in purity. With, with Titus, we th- see this commendation that, of course, would be there for Timothy, which is to teach with integrity, teach with integrity. That's all for the sake of preaching, right? The whole counsel of God's Word, 
Right? How many people have disqualified themselves? How many pastors, how many elders have disqualified themselves because they began to focus on the, their own empires and their own reputations instead of Christ? Right? How many people have disqualified themselves because of their conduct? The answer is a lot, right? The answer is a lot. But here in the midst of controversy, we see Paul and we see both Timothy and Titus or we see Paul commending to them, rather, and we see him model this, a thick skin and a warm heart toward God and toward all people. They're to be an example, right? And, th- and this is, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul's ministry at all, this was, this was advice that the Apostle Paul aimed to follow, right? You could flip over, you don't have to, but Philippians chapter 3 I think we might have this on the screen here, verses 7 and 9. This is the Apostle Paul. Whatever gain I had, Paul says, I counted as loss for the sake of who? For the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Right, he says loss a whole lot in this passage, right? I've served the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing the amount of loss he's experiencing, or he had experienced, and he's saying it doesn't matter because when I weigh that stuff against Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is of surpassing value to my reputation, to my status in society, to my education, to my wealth. There is surpassing value in knowing Christ Jesus. He says it's, or, those things are like a polluted garment. They're like filthy rags in comparison to how glorious Christ Jesus is. And so this brings us to some questions, right, that we, we should be faced with in light of a text like this. Questions like this, is Christ worth it to you? Paul repeats the word loss in that passage because it doesn't matter how much he's lost if he's gained Christ. So is Christ worth it to you? Now note that we can say that Christ is worth it as a confession, but how does it stir you this morning as a Christian? How does reflecting on that in this very moment stir you emotively? Right, or is, it, is there a coldness and a distance to that profession? To, do, you, do you have the sort of warmth that the Apostle Paul is express, expressing in that Philippians 3 passage or the way that he's commending the young Timothy to, to not lose his, his, his mission, his gaze, which is on Christ? Does it stir you? Do you feel, and I'll use the word feel, do you feel warm toward Christ this morning? Do you feel freed up to love other people, including those people who would persecute you? Or do you operate as if you're owed something? Is there a spirit of entitlement that seems to haunt you, if you will? Are you embittered? These are important questions that we all need to ask ourselves. We all need to audit ourselves regularly. Because in reality, what we all deserve truly Every one of us in this room, what we all deserve is an eternal hell. 
That is what we deserve. Right? The eternal wrath of God. That is all that we, we are owed. But God instead, right, in His kindness, in His love, in His graciousness, right, He's gave us the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And now everything in this life, everything in the next life can flow from that. So does that affect your head? Does that affect your heart? Does that affect your hands? Does that affect you body and soul this morning? I pray that it does. Secondly, the Word of God is to be central in the gathering of God's people. The Word of God is to be central in the gathering of God's people, right? Verses 13 and 14 in some of verse 14, I'm going to neglect and point you toward Jeff, um, Jeff's commentary that he wrote for this week. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands. Uh, Clark as well spent some time when that was mentioned in chapter 1. But what I want us to see is the, the, there's, there should be a devotion. The pastor should devote himself to, to what it is that we're doing this very moment, to the, the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And, and this is to be the case. The pastor is to devote himself to this. Timothy was to devote himself to us. The elders of our church, we should be devoting ourselves to this because we all need Christ. Right? We all need Christ. Right? This is one of your takeaways this morning, but I'm going to mention it here. To gather every Lord's Day, because the aim here right now is, is corporate worship, what the Apostle Paul is giving here to Timothy, right? And this can be certainly taken into our own uh, Monday through Saturday in the sense of it should impact us, it should, it should change us. But to gather around the Word, which is what we're doing here this morning, to gather around the Word is to gather around Christ, right? To gather around the Word is to gather around Christ, and we need Christ, don't we? Right? We always need Christ. And, and I hope as your pastor, more than anything, that, that, that the people of Deer Park Fellowship will be a people gathered around Jesus. Be a people gathered around Jesus. And, and while, again, the focus of the text is on the gathering of the church on the Lord's Day, I would venture to say that a church that gathers around Christ by gathering around His Word when we're together, is a church that gathers around Christ Monday through Saturday. It should motivate us to do that very thing. If you don't take anything else away from our Lord's Day worship, take this away. Gather around Jesus regularly. Gather around Jesus regularly. If you're single or widowed, gather around Jesus. If you're married, husband and wives, gather around Jesus. If you have children, gather your family around Christ and refuse, absolutely refuse to grow discouraged in that pursuit, no matter the internal wrestlings, no matter the external wrestlings. Gather around Jesus. And as we assemble together and devote ourselves to the Word, something happens to us. We, we spiritually flourish. We spiritually flourish, right? Around the Word is where God promises to grow us. Around the Word is where God promises to comfort us. Around the Word is where God promises to convict us and conform us into the image of Christ. To not gather around the Word is to deprive yourself of Jesus and the very means by which God uses to strengthen you. 
Now look back at our passage. Right? Paul t- charges Timothy to exhortation and to teaching again, like command and teach that we saw in verse 11 here. But l- l- look at I mean, what we see here, again, are necessary elements of preaching. But this word exhortation I wanted to point out to us because it's especially significant as it relates to preaching. It means consolation. It means comfort. It means entreaty, which is like this this earnest appeal, this cry from the the heart, if you will. The word exhortation is used 109 times, and it comes from the same root word that the Apostle John uses to describe the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so critical that we gather together around the word. Right? The Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the advocate. He's the convictor. He's the one who gives us eyes to see, the ability to express repentance and faith. And the exhortation to preaching, the exhortation to us gathering around the Word on the Lord's Day is to always be in tandem with and dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. Right? The Word and the Spirit always go together. The Word and the Spirit always go together. We see that inherent in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, the Lord says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Right? As the word of God goes out, the Holy Spirit of God applies it according to the will of God. And the word of God, it does one or two things. Right? It either hardens us or it softens us. Right? The word of God doesn't return void. It, even, it either hardens or softens. Right? In Timothy's case, it hardened the false teachers. Right? It hardened the false teachers who sought to discredit him, who sought to discourage him. For the Christians at Ephesus, for God's sheep, it comforted them. And it strengthened their faith in Christ Jesus. Right? Saints of God should be encouraged by the word of God because the spirit of God will use it to tenderize you to soften you, to warm you toward God and His gospel. This is why Timothy needed to persevere. Right, A, a word-centered ministry is the means by which God will build His kingdom. A word-centered ministry brings glory to God, but it's also what's good and right and beautiful for people. If we want to glorify God and genuinely love others, we have to center our lives around the Word of God, and it begins with what we're doing here this morning. So the word is central. The last thing that we'll look at this morning, I was thinking on how much time I want to spend on what I'm about to skip or not. You guys got another hour, right? I'll jump to the last thing. Gathering around the Word leads to watchfulness. Gathering around the Word leads to watchfulness. Okay, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Right? There's a doing of the Word. Again, not, not just a hearing of the Word. There's, a, there's this devotion to it, this body and soul devotion. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Verse 16, keep a close watch, right, which is, and that word watch there means 
to fix your attention or to, to, um, to take heed or to take hold, if you will. Keep a close watch on yourself, is what he charges Timothy, and on the teaching. All right, so Timothy's to watch himself, he's to watch what he's teaching, he's to guard his doctrine that he's putting, again, thus saith the Lord, should characterize his ministry here. And he says, persist, Paul's encouraging him, because Timothy, as we've seen, could have gotten discouraged in the midst of all of this. He says, persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Right? Paul gave a very similar charge to those same elders back in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, pay careful attention. Okay, that's watchfulness there. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Right? There's a preciousness to God's church. It's God's church is who Christ died for. He spilled his blood for as we submit our lives to the Word, as we're a Word-centric people, as we're gathering around the Word of God, right? We, uh, we are, our theology, right? This, this good doctrine that Timothy was tasked with proclaiming, that good theology should lead to doxology, right? It should lead to worship, right? It shouldn't stop with just stuff that we know, right? Another way to say it is our orthodoxy should lead to orthopraxy, Right? And if, that, if that's not happening in our lives, there's a disconnect truly with what we believe. And when there's a disconnect between what we believe and how we behave, and that isn't discounting the fact that we all wrestle with, with sins this side of eternity, right? We're always going to wrestle with sins until the Lord comes back. But if there's just a glaring walking contrary to that um, of God's Word, uh, there is a disconnect between what we're professing and, uh, and our, our own worship, our own application of what we're professing. But elders set the tone of the church for this. They're to, they're to do that according to the, you know, keep a close watch is what Paul tells Timothy on yourself and on the teaching, right? There, there should be a contagious nature to the way in which the elders are eldering. But this, this is for all of us, right? The watchfulness here leads, according to Paul, to salvation, Right? He says to Timothy, by doing so, you, Timothy, will save both yourself and your hearers. All right, this is another one of those passages we've got to take with the whole counsel of God's Word. We've got to take contextually because Paul isn't striking again. He's not striking at the sufficiency of Jesus here. Right? We, we know that that's not what's happening. Paul isn't saying that Timothy saves himself. Paul's not saying that Timothy is the one that saves other people. What Paul is urging is this God-ordained, Christ-accomplished, Holy Spirit-empowered commitment, right? Gaze, movement in the life of Timothy that should be evident in the preaching that, that, that Timothy was to do, right? Timothy's commitment to Christ in his word is salvific because it is evidence that he's saved by and grounded in Christ, right? And, and that should be infectious to those who were entrusted to him, to the church of Ephesus, right? The church of Ephesus should see clearly where Timothy's allegiance was lying. And they should do likewise, they should do likewise, right? The persistence Paul is encouraging is this laser-focused view toward Christ for justification, toward Christ for sanctification, toward Christ for 
glorification. Right? And, a, and a commitment like this to our triune God, a true one, it results in the cultivation of our character that's shaped by the Word. This sort of life is good for us. It's maximally, as we see in this text, beneficial to those in our lives. Timothy's watchfulness over his own character, his watchfulness over his own doctrine, it benefited the whole church of Ephesus in in such a way that, again, Timothy is exalting Christ to himself, and he's exalting Christ to the congregation. That's, that's what's so salvific about that, what, what Paul is commending here. It's not that Timothy's exalting himself, not that Timothy is promoting a, uh, a works-based salvation, but that his life, his character, his doctrine is one that says, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. He alone can save you. He alone sustains you. He's the author. He's the finisher of the faith. And watchfulness like that we see commended to Timothy right, is a watchfulness that we should cultivate in our own lives, every single one of us. All right, if we're to be thick-skinned in conflict, if we're to be warm-hearted toward God and others, we have to be watchful. All right, if the Word is to be central, we have to be watchful. So I just want to close with a few ways that we can be watchful, just a, a few different ways that we can be watchful as God's church, some of which have, have already been explicitly stated this morning, but, but the Word, we, we should be in, in the Word and in prayer regularly. We should be in the Word and in prayer regularly. That, that should be a discipline that we're cultivating in our lives day by day. We should be in community with the people in this church. Right, we have small groups. If you're not in small groups, you can, you can get in a small group. I would encourage you. We've got a library with a bunch of books. Find one you want to read and ask somebody to go through it with you. Like, find ways to get connected with other people in which you can cultivate good, godly, honest um, community with people that, want to, that are resting in Christ and want to point you toward Christ and people that you can point toward Christ as well. A couple of these I kind of adopted from an author named Brian, author and pastor Brian Hedges and tweaked a little bit. But know your own heart and your own proclivities towards sin. Know your own heart and your own proclivities towards sin. Right? And you can, you can do this when you give yourself time and space to pay attention to those things which you're tempted by. Right? Know the situations that you put yourself in that weaken your resolve against sin. Right? Know those situations that you put yourself in. Right? Avoid hate sin at the temptation level right, as a part of, of being watchful so that you can be tender and warm and Christ-exalting. And in all things, remember your union with Christ, right? Remember that you spiritually rose with Christ out of the grave, leaving your sins behind in the empty tomb of Christ fully paid for. Know that that as we, in just a moment, partake of the Lord's Supper, that we're declaring that Christ is in us and that we are in Christ. I know that as you suffer in this life, that you are doing something that your Savior did, which was suffer in this life. Right? You share union with Christ. We don't operate as people that are independent of Christ or independent from the Holy Spirit of God. We're a dependent people. A few takeaways this morning. 
Don't worry about your reputation. Instead, spend your life worshiping and exalting Christ. Our sovereign triune God will use your reputation as He sees fit. Secondly, gathering around the Word of God is important because gathering around Christ is important. A church that gathers around the Word is a church that gathers around Christ. And then last, a church that gathers around the Word will be well-guarded. This is the watchfulness component. Well-guarded in her life and her doctrine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to spend time in it. God, we pray that, that you would use it to, to help uh, us to, to honestly love you more, God, and that that would be uh, something that impacts the way that we live. And so help us to be lovers of you, lovers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.